calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. <laughs> Thanks for coming to us at Reppin. I'm Evelyn, your host, and my next guest is taking the world by storm. She's just out of high school and the founder and co-executive director of the International Youth Climate Justice Movement called Zero Hour. She's written numerous op-eds for the New York Times, Time Magazine, and she's got a debut book called Youth to Power, Your Voice and How to Use It. Hit stores this June, 2020. She was one of Teen Vogue's 21 Under 21, Girls Changing the World, one of People Magazine's 25 Women Changing the World, the Today Show's 18 Under 18 Groundbreakers, also the MTV EMA Generation Change winner, and one of the BBC's 100 Most Influential Women. So who is this, you ask? Well, this flamethrower is Jamie Margolin. So Jamie, first of all, thank you so much for joining me on Reppin. I'm so happy to talk to you. I know how crazy busy you are. You're 18. The last time we talked, you were like, I'm filling out college applications and that's what you should be doing at 18. But here you are. I mean, you are the founder of Zero Hour. So thank you first and foremost for joining us uh, on your busy schedule. Introduce yourself to the audience. Who are you? And let us know a little bit about Zero Hour. So yeah, hi everyone. I'm Jamie Margolin. I'm an 18-year-old climate justice activist from Seattle, Washington. Uh, I'm a founder of the International Youth Climate Justice Organization called Zero Hour. We started back in 2017 after a series of climate disasters um, that needed a response and the fact that there was no existing like youth climate movement that was very prominent. There were youth climate activists and there was some sort of youth climate movement, but it wasn't at the level that it is today. And so um we can talk more about that later, but yeah, I'm the founder. I'm a founder of, of this movement and a leader in the youth climate justice movement. I'm also a writer and an author. I have a book, Youth to Power, Your Voice and How to Use It, which is a guide to being a young activist and organizer. And um, I write like different op-eds for different publications like the New York Times and things like that on um, about different issues and, and subjects. So yeah, that's me. And I'm a senior in high school currently. Um, hopefully, 
I have just applied to colleges as of when we're having this conversation. So hopefully by the time you're listening, I would have gotten in somewhere nice, but we'll see. I, you know what, I would shame the colleges that are not jumping over each other to get you, to be honest with you. Now, let's back all that up. I mean, you threw a couple of things out there. You started a youth movement called Zero Hour. You're writing op-ed pieces, you know, for the New York Times. That awareness and breadth of concern um, at 15 years old, like, can you talk about that moment where you were like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start zero hour because again, most 15 year olds are just trying to like, I don't know, get their ears double pierced or like dye their hair. And, and here you are. I did dye my hair for those who know. You did. <laughs> yeah. And it looks, it looks good girl, but like, Thank you. you know, at 15 years old, why are you not worried about like, you know, um, going to the mall or sneaking out of the house or stealing the car? Can you tell me about what brought your awareness and this passion towards climate and environment? Well, first of all, I can't drive. I still can't drive. Um, fun fact. Um, so I don't know how I would seal the car or how that would be productive because I don't know which pedal is the gas and which pedal is the brake. So that would be good. Good. <laughs> but second of all, it was really just the fact, I think a desperate times call for desperate measures. So I was born after 9-11. So not only has a surveillance state always been a reality for me, but so is the fact that like life as we know it on this planet is coming to an end and it is because of man-made causes. So that has really been something that has just always been a reality and it's never just been not something there. And so when you grow up like that, you know, at 15, you're taught to, you know, plan for your future. What do you want to be when you grow up? What are you going to do? It's just always been there looming. And so for me, at 15, I was like organizing and working towards climate justice right after the 2016 election. So the 2016 election was when I first got involved with activism in general. So I've, I've always been a very politically aware child. I grew up watching the Colbert Report and The Daily Show when I was nine. I'm a product of just constant political satire ever since I was like in the single digits of age. And the news is on TV in my house 24-7. And so it was just a constant influx of what is going on in the world, as well as the weekend satire of what ha what's happening. And so I grew up with that perspective. And then I also grew up constantly watching nature shows and documentaries and things about the planet and things about the climate. And so I was very aware and I was having this constant influx of science and politics and information. But I didn't know how to act on it until I was 14. Through the 2016 election, I had been following it pretty closely. It was down between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump in the general election. And for me, it was pretty obvious of who out of the two should is most qualified to be president. Um, spoiler alert, it's the person who didn't technically win. So I started organizing with the local Seattle Democratic campaign headquarters. I saw an email in my inbox that was like, come on down and like phone bank. It was like a general email blast. Yeah, some these campaigns find a way to get everyone's email. So they got mine somehow. And so I, I joined and I made more phone calls than my parents because we had like a tally sheet of like who we talked to. And so then I became a regular at the Seattle Democratic campaign headquarters, um, training volunteers, doing everything I could, attending events and just doing as much as I could um, for the Democrats to have what I thought would be a sweeping victory up and down the ticket in 2016. Yeah. It did not turn out that way. It was my freshman year of high school and it was a very bad year to start high school as I realized that for the rest of my childhood, I would have to be living under the rule of Donald Trump and the Republican administration. And that was a really horrifying like night for me. 
after especially putting so much time and labor into the Democratic um, yeah. headquarters, but then also you know, I was kind of brought up under this naive assumption that the quote unquote good guys always won. I think we all were under that assumption. Yeah. And also based on my consumption of Disney and Marvel and DC movies of like all of those, like, you know, it always works out for the right people in the end. And so for me, I was like, look, nobody's perfect, but it's going to work out for the best person. Right. And that I was horribly wrong. And so I was like, well, my enemies are all in power and all my friends are dead in terms of politicians. I kind of fell into like a state of depression for a long time, but it was around December of 2016 about a month after I was wallowing around for like a solid month. I don't think what you were feeling was necessarily an age-related thing or a Disney-related thing. I think the American values and principles that we were all brought up on were work hard and it will pay off and the good will win. I mean, that's what we were all brought up on. So I think we were all sort of struggling with um, varying levels of sadness at that particular point. But please, uh, you know, tell me about sort of you know, what happened after that? Yeah, yeah. And then I kind of felt that vibe within the country too. I was researching like, okay, I should probably get involved with like climate related things because in terms of issues that need urgent action, like the climate crisis is the one. And now that I know that the president in office is going to be someone who has no regard for, who is going to not just not take action, but is going to roll back everything that we've done in the past. You know, I was completely upset about that. And so I started to get involved with a local environmental organization called Plant for the Planet. And so I kind of jumped in head first. It wasn't like I went to a meeting and then I waited a while and then I slowly eased into it. Like it was just a complete dive in 24 seven. I was a rhythmic gymnast at the time and I eventually I, I quit rhythmic gymnastics. Um, I was falling out of love with it anyway, but I was also like 100% full in on community organizing. And so I was doing tons of work, lobbying, talking to local politicians, doing different events, initiatives, everything around my city of Seattle. And for about a year, that's how it went. And and, and no one was paying attention to us. And, and when I say us, it was like there were other young people there with me too. No, it was, it was unheard of what you guys were doing. Now, here's a quick question I wanted to backtrack a little bit. Is it fair to say that the election or, you know, th the loss that you felt was the thing that spurred you to become an activist? Because this feels like it was a stick of dynamite that sort of blew up in your head. It was. But the thing is, like, I before the like the election, like, you know, I was initially like, oh, I'll get involved in electoral politics and maybe I'll become an intern for, you know, a, a, a senator or something. And that'll be cool if it had gone the way that I wanted it to. Then I would have kind of gone that route. I would have still been politically involved. It's not like I would have been like, well, everything's great and dandy, so I'm going to quit. But I would have been more of just like trying to climb the ranks of politics versus actually trying to change something. And that does come from a certain level of privilege, but I think it was just all I knew at the time. I think I would have come to the realization of urgent action. And, you know, nowadays my politics has moved. I'm wearing my Bernie Sanders shirt right now. Like nowadays my politics has shifted way to the left of where I was. I think I would have had my shift to the left and really my transformation, but it would have happened like way later. I would have been in like either right now I would have just gotten around to it or I would have been in my 20s and just been like, oh. Darn. And I don't know if environment would have been as in the forefront for you if, if it hadn't shifted in the way that it did, right? It might have not. You know, you can never know, but it might have not. So I will say this. I am glad that we have you to do what you're doing. Thank you. But I have to say, I'm still pretty impressed by how you gain that sensibility to not just feel it, 
but to do something about it. I mean, a lot of people felt what you felt, but some of them were so paralyzed by it or felt powerless. You were 15, Jamie. So can you talk about that sensibility at at 15? Like, where did you get that? Because it's one thing to recognize it and to feel the devastating effects of, of the loss of the election, but then to implement it into action and into this incredible movement and organization that has been just a force to be reckoned with. I don't know, because I've never thought about it. And I don't really like, you know, I'll be on things like people like you and they'll be like, oh, my God, you're so impressive. But to me, it's just normal. Like, it's just all I've known. Right. I guess part of it, like for me, it's just, oh, yeah, I have this conference call tomorrow and I'm doing this in my organization tomorrow. But it's like just things on my schedule that I do. And so it's funny to be on like this podcast because you're kind of reminding me that this isn't normal because it's just my life. And I'm more stressed about, oh, darn, uh, Greta Thunberg hasn't gotten back to me with that contract that she needs to sign to be a part of the forward of my book versus not worried about, you know, whatever you were saying that you worried about 15. I'm like, she hasn't gotten back to like Greta Thunberg hasn't gotten back to me with that contract. Yeah. And I really need it so we can put that book forward. And I don't take a step to realize how crazy it is that that's what I'm worried about. But, but but you get so caught up, I guess, with the activism and like the little, I have to get someone to sign this contract. I have to do this email. I have to reply to these things. I have to do this conference call. I have work tomorrow. I have to schedule the logistics for my event that you forget how much you've done and how big it is because it just all happens so fast and there's just so much to do and it's not very glorious when you're sitting there going through a million emails like this is like it's not a glamorous moment you know i'm looking like for those of you this is an audio medium but i am like sitting here with like i haven't combed my hair i'm wearing the bernie sanders shirt i worked out in this morning and i'm wearing my dad's coat that's just my life yeah but going back to your question of how had the sensibility i think it's part of my upbringing so my mom is from colombia south america and she's just like a go-go-go kind of person she did work herself out of poverty and so she's very like you know you can't waste time you always have to take action on everything um she's not an activist herself by any means but she's a very hard-working person that has instilled those values in me and i also have come from that global perspective and then my dad on he, he's not from colombia he's he's from the united states but um he's jewish and our family on his side came through Ellis Island fleeing Russian persecution of Jewish people and so I come from a very multicultural mixed background and my dad is like you know like I said like that constant influx of information since very little so on my dad's side I get awareness and on my mom's side I get action in terms of you know she's just a very proactive perseverant person but none of them ever pushed me to do any of this or none of like my parents never convinced me or asked me or um, there nothing was ever their idea, you know, to volunteer in the campaign headquarters, I dragged them to things. It's not vice versa. Even when I was a gymnast and I decided I want to do rhythmic gymnastics, they're not, oh, wouldn't it be cool if Jamie did rhythmic gymnastics? It was like, I found it. I made a passion for it and I dragged them to it and begged them to do it. So it was never, they never picked things out for me. I picked things out for myself. There is no logical explanation. Like you can logically explain it somehow, in terms of my upbringing but then it's just some people are just a certain way and so I feel like there is my upbringing there is the knowledge that I grew up with and the multicultural background and my mom's you know fierce Colombian spirit but then there's also just who you are who I am and and I've always kind of been like that I've never was like a cool or popular kid at school I've always been the girl just like you know I was reading a lot when I was little and I've always you know I never really had a lot of friends or a social group and I was always teaching myself how to do things I was always proactive ever since I was little so I used to like be like a big arts and crafts person and so I would constantly teach myself how to do new different arts and crafts so I would I would think like oh 
I really want to learn how to weave today, like weaving loom. And so I got a book about like traditional Navajo, like art, like, and I literally went to Home Depot and built an entire loom. I don't know why the hell I wanted to know how to do this, but I did. And so then <laughs> that's amazing. I found like this natural yarn and I was like, I'm going to dye it naturally. So then I found like beet juice and stuff. I still have like the things that I wove. They're very like bumpy, but it was pretty cool. I think ever since I was little, I also have like a really big respect for native culture. Like for me, I'm not native myself. I mean, sure, like all Colombians have some native ancestry so i probably have something somewhere but it's all been lost spanish is the language i speak so it's not my identity at all but i've always really had a high respect for that so i was little and i would get these books of like traditional like art forms and things like that i would like sit there and like try to like make arrowheads like chipping rocks and stuff like anything that i wanted to teach myself how to do i would do it I made like a bow and arrow and stuff and I was like shooting it into like um, <laughs> the fence and it was kind of annoying the neighbors because our fence still has a lot of holes in it from when I was going. And so I just went through phases right. of, of different arts, art forms that I would teach myself. And I was like a painting, drawing, everything, everything that you can think of, beading, sewing. I went through constant phases. And so I would teach myself. And this was when we had like a big fat Dell computer that looked like a fat TV, hard, no Wi-Fi in the house. And so I would just go to the library and I, and I would pick out books and I teach myself. None of the women in my family know how to knit or crochet or like teach me. It wasn't like a, yes, I'm Colombian, but it's not like there's some like, oh, here's our family's ancestral. Like, right and I'm going to teach you child this now your turn to learn <laughs> I was like I randomly want to know how to do this thing so mom can you drive me to the library she was like sure and I taught myself how to make extensive things then I watched the Olympics I want to get to a professional level of a sport so I found rhythmic gymnastics Amazing. and I was like that's what I'm going to do I spent a summer teaching myself how to do like the full splits and all the, which I can still do fun fact. Um, awesome. Okay. And all of those things. And I just taught myself. And so I've just always been proactive. And so that's amazing. that translates into politics. Like when there is a problem, then I have to solve it. Just like when I wanted to learn something, I taught myself. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot of things that struck me. I think you're right. It's it's just who you are. But I do think there's some elements in here that, that sort of help inform us who you are. I think yeah. by nature, you are someone who is clearly a go-getter, and that would be the greatest understatement of all time. And you are somebody who's going to naturally work to to figure out ways to 
uh, figure things out and make things happen. I think that's genetically who you are. But I do think that what you said earlier was super interesting that your family are immigrants. You're from a family of immigrants. So my dad was born in the US, but you go back one more generation, two more generations and it's Ellis Island. So there's no colonial background in the United States. You did say something in an article that I wanted to bring up, and I'd, I'd love for you to speak to it a little bit, because I, I think that it probably did, you know, have some element of playing into your nature of wanting to learn and, and, and going out to figure that out. You said you credit your mom, who's an immigrant, to become an activist, because she said, uh, if you're not going to do it, then no one else will. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think it's it, it wasn't around activism, but it's just in general. My mom is someone who doesn't take any, um, pardon my French, but bullshit. Like she doesn't, if something has to get done, it has to get done. And there's no half-assing anything. There is no, oh, I just started it, but I couldn't finish it. There's no, oh, sorry, I can't do it. Like she's the kind of person that has the kind of perseverance that is so annoying and to people and to me when it's going against my wishes. Because if it's with my wishes, then we can both work together and we're unstoppable. But usually, because she is my mom, it is conflicting. And so it gets annoying. But it's also where I get my stuff from. And so I have this perseverance that is so... It's annoying to people sometimes. But it, I, I respect boundaries. But I will like sneak through a hole in a wall to... Uh, true story. Um, there was I was at the MTV EMA Awards. And I'd just done the red carpet and the show was over. They're awarding me, the MTV was awarding me at the European Music Awards alongside a few other kids for our activism this past November 2019. And it was in Spain and there was like a, a VIP party. But within the VIP party, there was a VIP VIP lounge for like the stars. Usually how it goes. Yeah. Usually how it goes. And I like, and so for the stars and I didn't have like the person who was hosting me. She said that like, oh, you should probably be able to get in there because you were on the carpet. But the bouncers wouldn't let me in. And it was like this very floral, like fake flower, like fence. Becky G was in there. Akon was in there. Green Day was in there. Everyone was in there. And I was determined to network. And I was like, I earned my place here. There was a little tiny gap between the wall and the the like flowery fence that was like barely squeeze a person in. And this big bouncers were like super scary, but they were distracted with a bunch of people. And so I literally squeezed and like crawled through the little hole to get in. I like crawled in and then it was so crowded and like it was like club lights, like strobe lights and stuff that no one noticed me. And I schmoozed with Green Day and I talked to the lead singer of Green Day and told them about climate action. And I talked to all these Mexican singers. and, And so I was like talking to people and networking and no one suspected. And so after I told my mom, she wasn't like, why did you break the rule? She's like, good. That's how you do it. Sneak into that room. You belong there. And it's not a toxic businessman, never take no for an answer kind of weird thing of, of perseverance. It's not like the masculine. No, this is different. Toxic perseverance. That is why we have our current crisis of misogyny. It, it comes from a place of mo- no one's going to pull up a chair for someone like me. So I have to pull up my own chair and I respect people's boundaries. And I respect, you know, I know when to stop and I know when, you know, I don't infringe on other people's privacy or anything like that. Like when I say perseverant, I don't mean creepy. I mean, <laughs> knowing that I have a place at the table and I'm not going to hurt anyone by bringing up my chair to know where I belong. And I saw that VIP room with the stars and I was like, you know, I have been spreading this message. I belong in there. And so I, I snuck in there and I made myself heard and I had a great time and I met a lot of cool people and now I have their contact and I'm going to hit up Green Day's manager and see what we can do. But like in terms of climate stuff, because they really do care about this problem. And she never sat me down and was like, here's the thing. It was just kind of the way that she exists through the world that I kind of 
picked up on it. And not everything is fine and dandy. You know, my mom and I do quabble a lot and there are some aspects of a relationship like any mother-daughter relationship. Especially at 18. I mean, that's the only thing that you've said that reminds me that you're 18. Exactly. But overall, it's good. I have to go back. I mean, there's such a great uh, blend between you being someone who's on fire, someone who is so filled with passion and drive, which is completely admirable, and also being 18. Girl, you're 18. Like, you should be breaking into things. I'm not encouraging to break into things, but, you know, that's what 18-year-olds do. That's what we did, you know, as teenagers. I am very grateful for all the things that you're doing and the movement that you're creating and the conversation uh, you're creating and and let's face it lighting the fire under everyone's ass <laughs> but i will say this you know at 18 years old or screw 18 i mean at any age what you're doing is a tremendous yeah. effort it is it, it is a herculean yeah. effort it is an effort that our politicians and representatives can't handle i mean look at what's going on let's not get into that exactly. do you feel like you are sacrificing uh, your teenage years, like, do you, because you are taking on so much at any age, you know, lobbying, writing op-eds for the New York Times, writing books, you've started a huge foundation. What about you being a teenager? You know, there are moments where I do know that I am definitely sacrificing my teenage years. It is already something I'm 18. I'm already, I'm like, as of a month, I'm a legal adult in the eyes of the law. And so I have never really had the time to be a child because when I was 11, I threw myself into like trying to be like a professional rhythmic gymnast. And so I was already like, whatever I did, I was, I'm not, I'm not someone half ass anything. And I quit rhythmic gymnastics when I kind of liked it, but I wasn't in it because I can never half ass anything. And so right. ever since I was 11, now to be fair, I'm not complaining about that because being able to do that sport and it is expensive. Rhythmic gymnastics is an expensive sport. And so that was a privilege that I could do that. And um, I was really throwing myself in there. But I was always working since I was 11. And so ever since I was 11, I was never really a kid. In my high school, all four years of high school have been absolutely consumed with activism. I watched all these high school movies and I thought when I was little, like, oh, high school, I'm going to like be an adult and I'm going to do all these cool things, all those crazy, wacky high school movies. And I've never had one of those experiences. Maybe I'll have, you know, one night that I went to a concert that was fun once or one thing, one thing here and there, but I've never actually had, um, a real high school experience or anything like that. And so I really have been sacrificing everything. And it really is something that, you know, I don't really know how to have fun without, I don't really know how to, you know, I always feel like I have a bunch of stuff to do. And so it's like, I almost feel like part of me feels like it's already too late and I just might as well continue on this path of just doing this work um, because I've just already given up, given it all up anyway. And I do have friends and I do hang up with hang out with them for a while. But every attempt to be normal is half-assed because my foot is always in all the things I have to do and kind of being someone who's never wanted to be normal and never has been normal. And so I just, a part of it is like, oh, I wish I could have these normal experiences. And the part of me is like, I've always wanted to be extraordinary and I wouldn't, I'd rather be extraordinary and miss out on some normal thing then have normal experiences and never be extraordinary just because I, ever since I was really, really, really little, like tiny little, I like when I was six, I was like, I want to be a published author. And I swear to God, I was like working on being a published author since I was six. And now I hope, you know, I will be, but it's like, I was little and I was writing and I was doing all these things. And so I think I was kind of, I popped out of the womb and I was like, I'm not here to just have a good time. I'm here to like do something. You know, for what it's worth, 
um, know that there are people out there, out here, uh, like myself, that genuinely appreciate and recognize the sacrifices that you're making. Because you know what? We can have the best economy, but let's face it, if we don't have a world or an environment to kind of live in, nothing is possible. Exactly. So talk a little bit about Zero Hour. Why did you name it Zero Hour? And what is your mission? And, you know, how can people not be so paralyzed with how big the issue is that they feel like they can't do anything? Yeah, so Zero Hour is called Zero Hour because this is Zero Hour to act on climate crisis. Uh, we have no more time. There is no more time to wait. There is no, t- no more time to hit snooze. There is no more time to procrastinate. Like, this is Zero Hour. That's it. The end. And so we renamed Zero Hour as just like, you know, it's, it's a call for urgent action. Right. It's an emergency call. And so our branding and everything, like the branding, if you go to uh, thisiszerohour.org or you follow us on social media, like just at, at thisiszerohour, everything is, our, our color is like a deep kind of reddish orange and there's no green or there's no like typical environmental colors. It's all just like in your face, emergency flashing light. Like, like that's the whole thing. It's, it's meant to be like um, a, a huge, massive call to action. And our logo is uh, this earth that is red, gray and black. And there's only a tiny sliver, like it's, there's clock hands on the earth and there's only a tiny sliver left um, to act. And that tiny sliver is on the United States kind of showing that we are the biggest causes of this problem. It's kind of almost putting pressure on these major developed countries to undo the harm that we've done. And also, we are mostly an American organization, though we are international as well. Really, that that's that's the messaging. And so our branding, and that is done by um, my co-lead, co-executive director, Nadia Nazar, who is, and she has just been in charge of all of our branding and all of our art in terms of like art, but, but our branding and our art is really how we communicate ourselves to the world. And so that is really important. And so everything you see is really, really intentional. So what if, uh, so people, regardless of age, feel so overwhelmed that this, pro- this, this, this situation is so big that they can't get their heads o- around it or they feel frozen by it. What would you say to people that they can do that might not have all the resources and the genetic DNA that you have? Some people might look at it, look at this, the situation of, of the environment feeling so defeated before they even got out of the gate. Right. What would you say to them and how would you inspire them? What could they do to make a difference? What they can do to make a difference is, you know, you don't have to start a youth climate movement, but you can join a climate movement. You can join an organization like Zero Hour. If you want to join Zero Hour, you can go to thisiszerohour.org um, and sign up. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. It's just the at symbol and then this is Zero Hour. And you can follow us there. And so then you can join a movement. You can sign up. You can participate. You can lend whatever skills that you have. Are you an artist? Are you a doctor? You know, you, we need like, you know, there's always need for like medical help and like nurses at protests, especially if it's hot or there's a you know, heat stroke and stuff like that. Like, do you have really strong muscles where you can like lift a lot of things to help, you know, an organization carry stuff? Are you um, an engineer? Are you a computer programmer? Like, what do you do? Just jump in, right? Just whatever you can do. Whatever you can do. Just find an organization like Zero Hour and or you can just scour the internet for another one. But I would recommend that you do join Zero Hour. This is zerohour.org. And you can put your skills to use because the movement needs you and the, and the movement, there's room for it for everyone. And it's not just about me. It's not just about the different leaders. It really is for everyone. Do you guys have any sort of big events coming up that you want to promote or can people just find it online? 
People can find it online. You can go to at this is your hour to find all of our biggest, newest events and campaigns. But one thing that we are really doing is we are ramping up for the 2020 elections and getting people really out there to vote. And so we have a campaign called vote for our future, hashtag vote for our future. But the four is a, a, a number four. And you can be out there voting, um, taking action, registering people to vote, follow the hashtag vote for our future and, and get involved with Zero Hour and our initiatives around getting people to vote. But really just we're, we're mobilizing around the 2020 election and getting everyone to, to, to treat it like the climate election that it is, like the last election that we have a chance to really turn stuff around and turning the... The momentum into policy action is is a big thing. And so if you can get involved with that, then that would be incredible. And if you can't vote, then make sure that those around you who can have a voting plan and that you get them from point A to point B in terms of voting. And so that's really what we're working on and mobilizing people in the battleground states to really um, take action and shift the election to where it needs to be. You're not somebody that is all talk and no action. I mean, you've definitely proven a lot of people wrong when they think that young people can't get things done. You're also writing a book. Let's talk about your book. You have a book. It's your debut book. So you are fulfilling your six-year-old self's dream. I am fulfilling my six-year-old self's dream. Uh, it's it's called Youth to Power, Your Voice and How to Use It, which is precisely what we're talking about here. So tell us a little bit about the book. What What's in the book? What's the book about? And when is it coming out? Yeah, so the book uh, comes out June 2nd, 2020. You can go to www.youthtopowerbook.com to pre-order and order online. Pretty much it is the ultimate guide to being a young activist and organizer. It is a field guide. It is a handbook. It is everything that you need to know to be an activist and an organizer. It's not really a memoir of my my activism. It's pretty much like my gift to people who want to get started but don't know how. It's my gift to my younger self of what would I have wanted to know when I first got into this and what I, what did I wish that I had when I got into this? There is no book that is, this is how it works. This is all that I've learned from the inside. And so this book, it, it has all those juicy secrets and it doesn't just have my perspective, but it also has stories from other young activists. And then it also has stories from my own life. And so if we're talking about a subject, then I will use examples of how I live in my own life and stories but it's not like Jamie the book. It's not like an ego book or anything like that. It's not a trend book. It's something that will be relevant 20 years from now. And it's something that I started writing it since before Parkland and, and, and youth kind of activism became something that people were really talking about. And it comes from a place of, of love and it comes from a place of of just true advice. You know, the podcast is about representation, but it's, it goes beyond literal like race, gender, and orientation. It's about ideas. It's about who you are, what shapes you. Right. So how would you define representation? I would define representation as having all the people at the table who need to be at the table. And that includes people who have historically not been at the table. Just because you haven't been there historically doesn't mean you shouldn't be or don't have a right to be. Well, everyone is making decisions who has who needs to be there and whose voice counts and no one being left out. There has to be a time and, and, and be honest, you know, where you felt so overwhelmed, so exhausted, maybe some representatives were, you know, not being helpful. Can you talk about a moment that you found maybe discouraging, maybe where you felt just exhausted? Share one moment like that with us and what helped you sort of get through that? Before I started Zero Hour in 2017, I just had a moment of absolute climate paralysis. Um, there was just there had just been so many different um, 
things that were happening in the world. Trump pulled us out of the Paris Climate Accords. Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico. Hurricane Harvey hit Texas. I was tired and kind of burnt out from all of my local activism. No one was paying attention. It just felt like I was shouting into the void. And then there were these massive wildfires that burned around the area and the smoke was hovering over Seattle everywhere. And it was just thing after thing after thing. And then I was reading all these doomsday articles about the climate crisis and how we're all going to die. And the New York Magazine had released an article that is like, no matter what we do, we're far too late. So we might as well party on the way down. Um, And so I would just kind of fell into a state of absolute climate paralysis and anxiety. And And for a few days, like I couldn't do anything or I just had no interest in anything. And it was just like, literally, what is the point of anything? And so that 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 panic attack did kind of also help spur me to start at zero hour and really take it to that level. But it was like just a moment of just nothing means anything. And I'm tired. But how did you not get crushed by that? I don't know. I, I guess it's not my nature to let myself get crushed by things. So after a few days of wallowing, I just physically had to pull myself out of it. And then what came after it was a big movement because that really helped me inspire me to start at zero hour. Wow. That's really what, what it was. Do we still have a shot to save the environment? I think that we on, the only way that we still have a shot is if everyone comes together and creates revolutionary change. And everyone does their part. Everyone listening to this, everyone everywhere does as much as they can, as fast as they can. That's really the only way. Because sitting here and saying we have a shot is really generous if it's just randomly saying that. The only way that we have a shot is if people take action and make it so we have a shot, but the shot isn't just going to come because we just sat here and it was there. So the only hope is an action. And what is the first action? Joining something, uh, joining an organization like Zero Hour? Well, I really say join something and really immerse yourself in the movement because we need everyone mobilized and also vote and really use your rights in democracy. Up and down the ticket, city council, school board, everything. And and not just randomly, but really find the most progressive person there. And so it's really, really important that everyone get involved to create the systematic change that we need, because it's not going to come from individual action. And the idea that we can all live in our individual silos is something that the fossil fuel industry and a lot of these industries that are causing these problems want us to just think and be in because that works for their benefit because they're all coordinated, but we're not. And so the only way we can out coordinate them is is to out-organize. So we have a signature sign-off here on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Let us know who you are and what you represent. My name is Jamie Margolin. I'm a founder of Zero Hour, and I represent the David standing up to the Goliaths in terms of the little people standing up to the big industry, big oil, big agriculture, big, all of these, like the the current political corruption and the little people, the people who just have a, a slingshot as opposed to the, the giants that we're up against. Huge thanks to my guest, Jamie Margolin, for hanging out with us and for her extraordinary work to save the environment. Join her and the movement at thisiszerohour.org. And you can find Jamie on Twitter. Her handle is at Jamie underscore Margolin. My next guest is Shannon Watts. She is the founder of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. We're going to go beyond politics and learn more about Shannon. This is Shannon Watts, founder of Moms Demand Action. Stand up and represent. Reppin is available on all top podcast platforms. So you know what to do. Subscribe, share, and leave a review. 
Also, you can reach us on Twitter at Reppin Podcast and follow us on Instagram, Reppin underscore podcast. There, you're going to see who's coming up next and get exclusive behind the scenes content. Thanks always to Nelson Pinero, my technical director and musical composer for his time, talent, and care. And always love and thanks to Gracie Kong. Reppin is a Suburban Outlaw Productions. Until next time, stand up and represent. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.